Hey guys, it's Jason Webb. This is the show that highlights local business leaders and the movers and shakers of Minnesota. Welcome to Minnesota Made. I'm here with John Thibodeau over at Advanced Extrusion in Rogers, Minnesota. Did I get that right, John? Yes, you got all it right. right. All right, good. Um, wow, man. So you took us on a tour of what I believe you said is 200,000 square feet. Yes. Big place. Even the conference room is big. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's impressive. What you've done since you started this business, uh, it's amazing, man. So yeah, congratulations with that. Thank you. It's awesome. And uh, and I, I, I don't know, we talked about a little bit about where you learn how to do this stuff. I think your brain must be uh, half Albert Einstein <laughs> because uh, all these different uh, chemical reactions that are taking place to make sure the processes work. And, um, you know, I took chemistry in high school. I took a little bit in college, but uh, when you, some of the words you used and the things you talked about uh, sounded somewhat like, I don't know, Chinese <laughs> to me. I, I recognize a little bit. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was getting myself into here. But sure. uh, yeah, it's impressive. So I think you know, a good place to start would be um, not so much talking about the business itself, but you know, let's talk about John a sure. little bit. Like, where did John come from? What did your path look like? How did you get to this point where you are now in this huge conference room in this 200,000 square foot building in Rogers, Minnesota? Sure. Well, uh, I graduated from high school in 1982. And uh, I uh, was, by, I grew up on a dairy farm. Oh, okay. So That's hard work. It is hard work. And, you get to uh, milk them twice a day, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and in the early 80s, it was not a time to consider farming. There were a lot of foreclosures going on, um, okay. you know, farm aid, all of that stuff that was happening. Um, really reinforced that, uh, you know, is that really a good future? Now, do you have siblings? Yes, I do. Did any of them stay in farming? No. No, okay. No. As a matter of fact, uh, in the, at the high school that I, I attended, uh, the 22 of us that uh, were farming and were on FFA, only two of them Stop are still it. farming. Okay. But their, their operations are huge and it's really a production. It isn't like uh, how we even nurture the herd. You know, yeah. they're smaller. Oh, yeah, it's much more to corporate. You, you bet it is. So, you know, it's, uh, I sat down, and I think my mom was really the big influence as far as, uh, hey, you know, there's a better life out there. Oh, okay. And uh, so, growing up and going to high school, you know, we were, uh, grew up in the town of Menominee, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. uh, there's a uni university there, Stout. Yeah. Yes. When in doubt. When in doubt, you go to Stout, <laughs> you're not sure, go to Eau Claire. <laughs> so, I didn't hear the second part. But uh, uh, in junior high and, um, and in high school, they had a really good industrial arts program where they introduced you into really super small scale injection molding, rotational molding. And we also got to go to Stout to see some of the larger processing of, of plastics. And so they had this stuff in your high school? Yes. Yeah, huh. even back in the 80s, uh, the late 70s, it was there. Wow. And, I, I uh, made a birdhouse in shop class. Yeah, you know, I did too, you know, it's, uh, I get the digits to prove it, but I, uh, 
It, it, it's actually, it was an eye-opener for me, and uh, I kind of got that uh, graduate speech, a kid, the future is plastics. And, oh, okay. uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it, uh, it stuck with me. Um, I had an interest in the science of it. Yeah. And it's kind of a, a geek back then, as okay. I probably still am. Yeah. But I, um, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> Again, I've been called first. But, uh, well, that's really cool that your high school had something Yeah, like that yeah. so that really opened up my eyes. Yeah. And uh, there was an industrial arts teacher there, Ed Rothke, that uh, really had an impact on He you. did, he yeah. did. He's the one that said, uh, there's so many things that uh, are made from plastics and continue uh, to be made from plastics that it was uh, a choice that I, I better go investigate. So I did. Yeah. I went to some secondary uh, schooling up here in, um, at the Hennepin Technical College okay. under their plastics technology program and uh, worked for in the injection molding field, uh, thermal farming, and then I landed a job with UltraPack. And that was a startup company. We were using other materials than what I'm currently extruding now. Yeah. But it was um, a material that actually uh, was a, a pioneering material, and I'm talking about PET. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it was it just had so many attributes that it was more expensive. But uh, you know, where our customers realized that the benefit from it uh, with extended shelf life let them, uh, especially bakeries, afforded them the opportunity to uh, have extended shelf life so they keep their product on the shelf longer. Okay, so PET, bakeries loved it. Mm -hmm. Is that when I go to Quick Trip and I buy a, a, a four pack of donuts that are already prepackaged in the plastic? Yeah. That's typically, that'd be the, probably the PET then? Yes, that's okay. right. And it's recognized with the number one recycle logo on the back. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. So that was kind of your um, first exposure to working in the plastics industry after college. Yes. Is that right? Yes. And you were, I think you said you were one of the first employees um, within that company. Is right. That right. Right. And um, I started out on the thermal farming side, uh, getting to know, um, and that's how the company started. It was just a thermal farming company. Okay. Uh, as the interest of being able to use this new plastic called PET, um, it took, uh, there were only two extrusion houses in the United States that made this material. Oh, wow. And uh, we got, we grew the business to such a point at such a speed that uh, they could not keep up. So we were basically forced into getting our own extrusion lines. Mm. And uh, so that's where I was uh, given the opportunity to start the extrusion division of UltraPAC. Okay. And uh, so I, you know, I built their extrusion facility uh, from the ground up, uh, up until uh, when they were acquired. Okay, awesome. So during that time, um, were you a single guy, a bachelor? No, I was married. I married okay. my high school sweetheart. Okay, and, nice. Uh, yeah, right, and she's been in the dental field. She's a dental hygienist. Okay. So, um, yeah, she's... Uh, put up with a lot uh, from me here so you know uh, it's gonna work don't worry and uh, any kids at this point in time in your life while working at this no uh, no, no. yeah okay. so yeah we kind of you know, coming from a small town we married early and that was not uh, untypical uh, right. you know yeah. uh, from where we grew up but uh, 
Um, we had kids uh, at, uh, at the age of 25. Oh, so her and I are the same age. Still early for today's standards. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I'd say I, uh, almost halfway through uh, my tenure at UltraPak, okay. uh, we, we started having kids. UltraPak. So they got bought up. They did. And yeah. then, so you're out of here. You're out of here. Yeah. You know, I stuck around for 15 months to see what the big corporate machine was like. Yeah. And uh, for me to go out and move up within the corporate ranks, it required uh, us to uproot the family and go oh, to yeah. different locations that they had. And well, where were you living at the time? Right here in Rogers. Oh, nice. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, it worked out uh, where we, we really liked the community. The school systems here are really decent. And uh, we had our friend base here. So, nice. you know, it, uh, it that was uh, just a, a real hard thing to to overcome, but yeah. you know, Elyria, Ohio, just does not have a appeal. And no offense <laughs> if you guys are from there, but I, I did some work uh, yeah. over there, and it just you know. not your favorite. No. no. All right. So you worked with them for 15 months. It's not for me. I don't want to move to Ohio. And you're like, what the heck? I'm gonna buy a 200,000 square foot building and. Well, I actually didn't start here. I started at a much smaller facility okay. in Becker, Minnesota. Um, There's 20,000 square feet. Okay. And, uh, you know, it keeps a lot of people out of this industry. It's uh, the equipment's very capital intensive. So, yeah. Um, Got some massive machines back there. Yeah, right? yeah. Massive. And uh, yeah, the average cost for each one of those machines are, is $2 million. So, you know, oh, the, the outlay gosh, is, crazy. it is crazy. And, um, and you got a bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have, uh, uh, you know, for me to get started, I, I bought new equipment, which is how we started Ultra Pack. Yeah, everything was new. Um, you, you just, you, you get to know the equipment and, and you get the latest technology, which makes, makes you more efficient in okay. pr the production. Uh, you know, we sell time and how we use time uh, can be the difference between profit and loss. Yeah. You, you're dealing with old equipment, you don't have much uptime, that's making buildable product. Yeah. So, you know, new technology has, a, uh, especially with this material, is, is a necessity. Yeah. So, Sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. So you started off in Becker then? I did, 20,000 square feet. And how long were you there? Uh, we were there for oh, 10, 11 years. And this is right around, you started out there right around 2000? 2000, yes. And uh, so about 2011? Yeah, uh, 2012, 2012 we made the move here. Okay. And uh, uh, so yeah, this building became available. Uh, the people that, or the company that acquired Ultra Pack moved their uh, the forming and extrusion assets to different plants that they had throughout the United States to get closer yeah. to their customer base, and okay. uh, they revamped and retooled their business model to just be truly high volume and uh, low cost. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So as far as uh, the products you produce, the different materials you work with. Um, has that, uh, have you seen a line of progress or changes along the way since 2000? Oh, without a doubt. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of post-consumer. Uh, first, uh, I want to back up and say uh, we extrude mainly polyester plastic here, both plant-based and petro-based polyester. And uh, it's, it's the same stuff here that uh, bottles are made from. And uh, this is a petro-based uh, uh, polyester. And uh, so, you know, this material here, uh, there's ver different variations. We have a, an R pet, which the R represents recycled. Okay. And that can consist of mainly post-industrial and also post-consumer, which could be curbside bottles. Right now, uh, Recyclers that are out there, they are using geometry uh, recognition for reclaim or in, and recycling. You know, everyone can identify a b bottle versus mm -hmm. a tray that's made from PET. Sure. There's long ways we need to go uh, to recycle the trays. To, and and they're, I don't know, it's gone up. I think 29, uh, 28, 29% of PET that goes into the U.S. market is being reclaimed but we can do much better because there's, I'd say 70% of the uh, consumer packaging is made from PET now. So do you think that's more of a, uh, a consumer uh, responsibility? People just aren't recycling like they should? Or is it more of the whole process, the industry, the recycling industry that needs to kind of step it, up? It does. It's, um, I, I, you know, I'm not much for government uh, intervention. Yeah, but me neither. You know, anything, when it comes to like what happens over in Europe, Europe, their government really hosts recycling and uh, compostability and in, in using those types of products in their single-use packaging. And yeah. uh, I think their government needs to provide some incentives out there oh, for yes. these people to recycle and take it serious. Like the state of Michigan, and there are a couple others out there that have redemption states. We like using that uh, reclaim because it's clean. It hasn't gone to a landfill. They've taken it out and then try to clean it. Sure. So, sure. Uh, redemption states and getting post-consumer, we try to go there. Makes me think of the old uh, glass Coke. Yeah, remember that, yeah. Do you think you give them back in a nickel or something? Yeah, right. and uh, just make it uh, a federal uh, deal right. for every state that yeah. they do that. Uh, we'd see a lot more uh, post-consumer being used. Yeah. Um, and again, at the temperatures we process and reprocess this material at, there is, um, it, it's shown by many, many studies that if there's anything harmful that's taken out just due to the time and temperature that we subject the material to in the yeah. crystallization process, the drying process, and then the melting process. Yes, so, it's very specific. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Yeah. Well, to get this reclaim program off, off the ground, uh, what do you think? Politics in your future? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, um, never say never. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I get a little frustrated, uh, you know, but it is what it is. And um, so, you know, that's that's our probably our, our widest used plastic is the our pet material. We have an APET, which is amorphous material, which is used for freezer applications. A lot of our customers will put their product in, uh, in an APET tray, and uh, that has certain properties that uh, uh, resist impact. Okay. You know, if they use a refrigerated truck, uh, it's frozen. Um, 
you know, these trays take a beating going over the road, oh, sure. as you can imagine. Yeah, right. So, um, so the uh, APET is, is selected there. Um, and then we have a crystalline product, which is our CPET, which is uh, set up for dual ovenable. You can microwave in it. You can also bake up to 400 degrees in a conventional oven. And um, much safer than styrofoam. Oh yeah, styrofoam cannot handle those temperatures. Yeah, and then on our bio uh, plastic side, uh, we use uh, uh, PLA, polylactic acid, and that is made from corn um, and, and or sugar. And, and that whole thing is amazing. We talked about earlier. We talked about corn, sugar, potatoes. Yes, yes. Yeah. And making, uh, make, making plastic products out of right. Yeah, right. Stuff. And I have a yeah, yeah. Feel yeah, yeah. free. <clears throat> This shows uh, really a working model of, you know, the corn. Mm. Uh, they refine the starches to get the dextrose or the sugar out of it. Okay. And that's what you have here. And from the dextrose, they that's where they refine to get the lactic uh, lactite, and uh, they re, they actually uh, refine the lactic and and polymerize it. They put some different other monomers in it to make the pellet. And then we extrude the sheet, it goes back into the soil, and it has a full circle of life. Now, uh, I mean, the, the size and the scale of this, this much corn doesn't produce that much. No, it does not. Okay. No. All right. No. Well, that's an interesting process. Yes. Yeah. And uh, at, is it this point that you're dealing with the material? I'm actually dealing with the material right here with the resin. Okay. Yeah. So I it melt this down to make this sheet or okay. film. And uh, our company, uh, well, uh, our customers will take it and form different geometries out of it. Awesome. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you mentioned a few different things, the, the products you work with and the things you produce. Uh, is there one or two that, um, I don't know, that take up the majority of what you do? Uh, the, the whole 80-20 rule. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that our recycled product uh, takes up a good portion of our machine capacity. And then 10% would be uh, the CPET, which that market's really growing to. Um, that one could probably go up to 15%. Then the rest would be the bio-based plastics. Okay. And uh, it isn't because uh, there's not acceptance. Right now, um, the availability of the resin is just so scarce. Okay. So that's why we are turning to other products, such as starch. Okay. Uh, potato starch. This material here is made from potato starch, and this all right clarity. Yeah. So once upon a time, this was a potato. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> and so is in this base. But uh, this base here has been uh, made into foam. Okay. So what we do is we use a citrus base uh, blowing agent. And uh, so you, you take an orange peel. Have you ever done that? Take an orange peel, squeeze it, and put a lighter under it. No. And it kind of throws off a little fireball. That's right. My kids would love it. Oh, they would love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we take that, that same uh, content from a fruit, huh. and it is then converted into, uh, at the temperatures that we process at, it kind of expands, not to the flame point, but it, it expands under pressure and heat. To make a foam bubble. So, big picture, I'm just curious. Are, are there orange farms out there 
that are designed and geared toward producing fruit that produces the, the, the squeeze of the rind that will end, become a product like this later on? Or is all this kind of like a byproduct of some other process? It, it, it's, uh, no, that, it, to, for them to do that would be <laughs> awful expensive. It, there's a synthetic form that oh, is okay. used. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, great. Right. But the idea came from the citrus oh, okay. rind. Interesting. Peel. All right. So, uh, yeah, you'll have to do that in front of your kids. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of cool. Um, all right. So where, where, where do you think, uh, w well, one thing that I found really interesting is the, um, the compostability of some of the plastics. And we talked about uh, the coffee cups that you can put in your machines to make coffee. And uh, you use it. You, and then it can become compost, mm -hmm. right? Um, do you feel like that's kind of the future of your company, or where, where are things headed? Where, where do you you got your uh, son and son-in-law working here, which yes. I think is awesome. Yeah. Uh, where do you where do you see if you looked in the crystal ball, you know, five ten years from now? You know, five to ten years, um, plastics uh, from the resin standpoint, uh, I think it's going to be a mix of both. Uh, I, I, even the compost uh, resin manufacturers say recycling is probably the greenest uh, method of, of dealing with plastic. So that's where I think recycling is going to grow in the United States yeah. for the PET products. Yes. Um, but there are still people that, uh, or customers or the consumer market out there is looking for something that is earth friendly and that will go away. Uh, all of our bioplastics uh, will disintegrate um, to ASTM 6400 and what the requirement is there is for, uh, it will take 120 days for the plastic to go away to okay. be digested by microorganisms in a compost facility that sure. is nurtured. Um, in the foam, it's, gosh, this stuff goes away in six weeks. And wow. this is home compostable, too. That's one thing I like about the starch-based is this material will go away in your backyard. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, um, And that's really starting to be the, the growing trend in Europe, is oh, home compostability. Yeah, it seems like Europe's leading the way in a lot of this stuff. So I guess that yeah. crystal ball, we could just take a visit to Europe. To yeah, you're exactly right. Like yeah. I said, uh, they're five to seven years ahead of what the U.S. market is. And they do a lot of driving of uh, what happens here. It migrates to the West Coast typically, yeah. and it starts to move its way east. Okay. And who's your typical customer? Um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to make uh, trays out of potatoes or whatever it else that you guys offer, um, who do you deal with directly, typically? Uh, we, we go through a distributorship. I mean, there's a fine network out there. Um, there's Unisaurus Bunzel. There are uh, other uh, folks that put together and bundle different okay. products for the likes of Walmart. Walmart is a big draw. Okay. Um, there is also, you know, the big guys out there, uh, the Kroger's, um, you know, the uh, Whole Foods. Okay. Uh, yeah. They're, um, they're the big names. They're the ones that we, we uh, provide product to. And in the area of the K-Cups, uh, just because of cost, it's, um, there are small boutique uh, coffee packagers out there that uh, 
are currently using, but I, I got a feeling some of the big guys will be coming out before okay. too long. So you're dealing more directly with uh, a, a distribution company, not directly with a Walmart. No, right, and a lot of the stuff uh, uh, to the distributors that I mentioned, they, they have different types of geometry that they can bundle together to go to a, a specific store oh. or to uh, a food processor. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, it's, uh, it's been an interesting visit and um, I learned a lot. Um, I'm a little disappointed in my college chemistry classes that I, <laughs> I didn't retain much. <laughs> It's like when you take a year or two of Spanish and you go to Mexico and you're like, right. ah, see. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hear you. I hear you. Um, but I, I love it. You guys do an awesome job. I'm very impressed. And uh, before we sign off, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, if they have a question uh, regarding uh, this massive mind of yours uh, in plastics and the uh, creation of them, uh, the manufacturing of them, how can they get a hold of you? You know, they can actually go to our website. Okay. And uh, there's a section to contact. Um, it'll go through uh, typically sales, but um, you can just uh, send a message that way. Okay. And right. uh, you know, I, yeah. I answer all the you know, questions that come my way. So. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank Great. you. Uh, you bet. Yeah. Thanks. All right.